First Chronicles 16, in the last two verses of the song that is in um, First Chronicles 16, gives us, and we're going to look at the last seven verses as well, uh, verses 37 to 43, uh, but just briefly, we're going to mainly look at the uh, the end of the song. Historical, uh, if you were to read Psalm 106, so the first 15 verses of the psalm is the first 15 verses of Psalm 105. Then we go to Psalm 96 that we looked at last week, which is the uh, verses 30, uh, 23 to 34. And then you see in verse 35, say also. Uh, and the last two verses are the last two verses of Psalm 106, which is verses 47 and 48 of Psalm 106. And so I tried to understand the context of Psalm 106. We know the context of this story, but Psalm 106 is similar to 136 in that it, it details a survey of Israel's history from the Exodus to wandering and then the conquest to the time of Judges. And it it, it highlights in, in that Psalm the faithfulness of God compared to the unfaithfulness of Israel. And you'll see in Israel... In Psalm 106, they talk about them rebelling, mm -hmm. them walking away from God, and God just faithfully keep bringing them back and bringing them back. And the end of the Psalm 106 uh, is after the time of Judges. And so um, David and Asaph, who are writing this song, uh, would have known the history of Israel. And uh, I don't think we know an author of Psalm 106 all of it. Um, but for the end of it, it's in the context of, okay, maybe now we'll be faithful to God. But if you remember, and the time of the conquest is around 1400 BC, and the time that this song is written is 1000 BC, so 400 years. So how much has happened in our country in 400 years? Well, 400 years ago, the pilgrims had just landed in 1620, 21. Uh, so we're only 400 years from that, and a lot has changed in our country. So 400 years has passed from the time that the Israelites go into the Promised Land and conquer it to the time of David. So what do we know about Israel's history that Psalm 106 highlights mm -hmm. is only the time of Joshua and the elders were they faithful to God. Remember the end of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the judges, things start falling apart spiritually. And everyone's doing that, which is right in their own eyes. And they have a roller coaster of uh, political leaders and spiritual faithfulness to God. And then they walk away from God and then they cry out to God and then they uh, trust God. And then they walk away from God again. And it's just over and over the cycle in the book of Judges. So uh, that's what Psalm 106 is about, of which these two verses are the end. And if you were David and Asaph coming to the throne... You have inherited a kingdom that is known for its cycles of disobedience and obedience and disobedience and obedience. And then you think of Saul, who was the king before you, and he personally walked away from God. And so now, finally, we have, and if you were an Israelite who wanted to stay faithful to God, you're thinking, finally, we have a king after God's heart. Finally, <laughs> we can go toward God as a nation. And so it's likely we know that David was at, at some point um, living among the Philistines. And we know in Ruth's story 
that uh, her first husband and mother-in-law left uh, Israel to go live with the Moabites. So the Israelites, when things were hard during Judges, they some of them left Israel. And so you see that idea here uh, of being scattered. And this, this isn't the um, captivity, because this is written at the time of, of the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem when David's king. So we're going to look at verse 35, and we're going to see, I asked this morning, uh, is this a spiritual salvation of which God has saved our souls with um, eternal life, or is this a physical salvation? And you'll see in the Psalms, uh, save us or deliver us or our God of our salvation. And you have to look at context. Context determines what kind of salvation is in mind. And because of the phrase, deliver us from among the nations, it is probably not talking about a spiritual salvation. It's talking about physical. Um, they were scattered at the time of uh, the judges, uh, saw that some to reunite them um, politically, um, but even at the end of Saul's reign, uh, there are Israelites fighting and living among the Philistines, and I'm assuming other nations around them too, because things were hard and the Philistines are conquering. And so you're going to flee for your life if you're um, kind of refugees scattering. So as David comes and ascends the throne, he's going to start beating the Philistines in battle. And as your, um, as your towns and, and cities that you used to live in are freed, and now in Israelite territory, uh, you're free to come back to your homeland and come back out of the nations that you were scattered. And now you can go back to your home uh, like Naomi and Ruth do in, in the book of Ruth. So the end of this song is um, verses 35 and 36, First Chronicles 16. It says, uh, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations. So we'll stop there. Save, gather, deliver. All is a, this, uh, this section is about the plan to continue worshiping the Lord. Last week we looked at the whole earth should worship the Lord. But we know the whole earth isn't worshiping the Lord. But God's people have no excuse for not worshiping him. So uh, as the people are scattered, now they have the Ark of the Covenant. They've got the center of their worship. They've got some of their towns and villages freed from Philistine um, oppression, and uh, they're coming and uh, re-inhabiting uh, uh, Israel, and they're singing this, oh, save us, O God, of our salvation, gather and deliver us from among the nations. So this is help with physical conditions, uh, physical issues, and today we should feel free to pray and ask God for deliverance and salvation from sickness, pain, relational problems, etc. Um, and the world actually prays for physical problems. Whenever we have physical issues, God save us, um, deliver us, help us, uh, God. Um, but Christians pray with the second part of verse 35 as well. And this is where Christianity prays and when we have, we have a knowledge of God and in the context of the whole earth should worship the Lord. And this song is all about worship. We see deliver us for a particular reason. Now the world does not want deliverance for this reason, but Christians 
have a God deliver us so that, and there's a purpose here in verse 35, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Now, this song is about praise, and we saw last week how the whole earth should praise the Lord because of his greatness and his goodness, and, and, and around him is splendor and majesty and strength and joy. And here, God's people want to be in, the, in his presence, and they want deliverance so that they can be unified, which they are right now as the Ark of the Covenant here. They want to be unified from all the nations so that they can give thanks to God's holy name. And they can glory in his praise. Glory there is uh, focuses on the personal aspect of, of worship. So while the whole nation is, is, is praising and giving thanks to God, individuals need to be uh, praising God and glorying personally uh, in, his, in his praise. So this is how we pray. This may our prayers tonight may look like this, God. Help. We've got people on our, our sick list from church. Help these um this person uh deliver them from this sickness so that they can give thanks to your holy name. If you've ever been in intense, severe pain, you're not thinking about praising God's name. <laughs> You think about deliverance and relief and comfort, and that's that's how we were made as, as humans. Um, but we pray for deliverance, and we will pray for unsaved people that have uh, all kinds of sicknesses as well. But in praying for unsaved people, we're not just praying for healing for their physical bodies. We're praying for healing so that they can give God glory mm -hmm. for their healing, so that they will recognize that God is the healer. And that they will turn from their sin and trust him alone. So how we pray is going to be different than God just deliver me from this foxhole. Deliver me during this test or this problem that I'm in. No, deliver me so that I can give thanks to your holy name. This is all about God. It's all about his worship. And while things uh, get in the way and physical separation uh, is, is, um, is, is plaguing the Israelites at the beginning of David's reign. They're, they're gathered from among the nations so that they can give thanks to his holy name and glory and his praise. The second uh, verse here, verse 36, uh, says, blessed. If you look up this word, it, it uh, is also translated kneel uh, before the Lord. Uh, kneel before the Lord, your maker. That's the same word. Uh, blessed. Uh, but this verb is passive. There's no subject. Who's doing the blessing? Well, it's passive so that someone else is doing the blessing, but we're not to focus on who's doing the blessing. What are we focused on? Who is, who are we, who are we blessing toward? What's the direction that we are praising? We are praising the Lord, the God of Israel. And so it's a passive verb so that we will glory and praise and, and bless the Lord. He is the God of Israel. He's not just the God of Israel, though. We live in the New Testament. He is the God of the church. Ephesians 2 tells us that we who were once aliens and distant from God are brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ makes us part of the family of God. And while we were once strangers and aliens and 
to the covenants of promise made to the Israelites in the Old Testament, we all have a right to be in the family of God because of the blood of Christ. God gives us that right to be called children of God, even as we believe on Christ's name. So we bless the Lord, the God of the church. He purchased us. He brought us near by the blood of his son. And to make it even more personal, he's the God of Grace Bible Church. So as we pray tonight, who are you praying to? You're praying to the God of Grace Bible Church and all other Bible-believing, um, obedient um, churches. So we are from at the end of verse 36. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, from the time that man cre was created, and even before man was on the earth, the all of creation is singing the praises of their creator. The angels are singing, I think, in Psalm 104, uh, the, the, cre the creator's praises. And we have so much to praise our God for. From everlasting, we know that's when he chose us before the foundation of the world. And to everlasting, what are we going to be doing in heaven for all eternity? We're going to be praising the Lord perfectly. So 3,000 years have passed <clears throat> since this song was written. And yet it's so timeless that we can join with David and Asaph and the others that wrote this. And we can sing the same words to the same God. And from everlasting to everlasting, he doesn't change. <laughs> Many people have come and gone on the earth in the last 3,000 years. And all of the faithful people to God's um, salvation have read First Chronicles 16 and Psalm 106 and said, he is our God too. He is not just the God of Israel. He is my God and I will worship him. In Psalm 106, verse 48, the end is not like it is here. It is part of the verse and part of the psalm. Here it's separated, and you see that, that it goes from the psalm and the end of verse 36 to, then all the people said, amen, and praise the Lord. And you go back to Psalm 106 and see uh, that it's slightly different, that it's just built into that uh, psalm. But all the people, this is kind of like the end of Joshua, where Joshua says, if it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose who say whom you're going to serve. And they said, no, we're going to serve the Lord. That's kind of what happens here in Israel, where all the leaders, all of the um, priests and the Levites and those writing the songs and David, and he's going to go back and bless his household and, and, and encourage them to join him in praising the Lord. All of Israel is unified here around one theme, praising the Lord. Now, David does things here, like Paul does in the book of Acts, to set up and plant churches and help those churches get established with leadership. David does that here so that this worship doesn't just stop with this day that, oh, great, the Ark of the Covenant's here. Now we can just go back to our lives. Now, we'll see what he does here in verses 37 to 43 to make sure that worship continues. It's starting here, but it's going to continue because of what David has read and learned from um, the law. And we'll see a couple times here the mention of uh, obeying the law. So verse 37, so David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister regularly before the Ark as each day required. 
So what is required of the Ark of the Covenant that I can tell uh, from the law, the books of the law, only one time a year was the high priest able to go into the presence of God uh, where the Ark of the Covenant is approached by just the high priest. And so this is in Jerusalem, this temporary place that David has built. He wants to build a temple. The temple's not built till after David reigns and then his son starts reigning. So probably 30 years later, uh, at least 30 years is going to pass from the time David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem till they actually build the temple and establish a worship. But so what does each day require for the Ark? And we remember uh, in the history books here that when people looked at the Ark, they died. So the people that are around the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem probably have, except for one day, have one job to guard the Ark of the Covenant so no one looks at it. <laughs> no one goes near it. That's actually what happens in the book of Numbers whenever the family of Moses is divided and the Levites are divided. One, the older men who are older than 50 could not go and, and worship and present offerings anymore. Their job, 50 plus, was to guard the Ark of the Covenant so no children curiously looked at it or anyone else get near it. So they tented, they they camped, and you can you can see that in the book of Numbers. Uh, they were responsible to guard the ark so that no one does this. And if you knew the history that 70 men died in this city, Uzzah died from touching it. 71 men have died um, because God, God is holy. And uh, we need to make sure we treat this um, this ark as, as holy. So that's verse 37. Verse 38, we have Obed-Edom who had uh, the ark at his house for... Uh, three months, and God blessed him and his uh, 68 brothers, uh, while Obed-Edom, the son of Jaduthan, and Hosea were to be gatekeepers. You see, they're a guarding of uh, with the gatekeepers. And he left Zadok the priest and his brothers, the priests, uh, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place that was at Gibeon. Gibeon is uh, known a couple pl other places in scripture. One is where the Gibeonites came and tricked Joshua with the old shoes and the old bread and said, hey, make a, a covenant with us that you won't destroy us. And they were only, this is only going to be six miles away from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, uh, six miles northwest of Jerusalem is where Gibeon's at. It's on an elevation. You can go there today and stand on top of a, a mosque <laughs> and a synagogue that are um, together in Gibeon. And it's on a high hill. And you can see Jerusalem six miles away. Obviously, Jerusalem's gotten bigger since this time. But you could see Jerusalem six miles away on a, on a clear day. Uh, you can today. So it's six miles away, and there's two different places of worship. We have in Jerusalem, we have the Ark of the Covenant, and it's going to be there until the temple's built. And the Day of Atonement, that's when the priest goes into the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkles the blood of the sacrifice, but we'll see what happens at Gibeon. Gibeon's also the place where the kings are fighting against Joshua and the sun stands still for a day and a half. It doesn't go down. That battle happened at Gibeon as well. So a couple times, and there are other mentions, there's some, some debate and ideas that possibly Samuel is um, buried at Gibeon. Uh, also could be called Mizpah. Um, there is a traditional burial plot for Samuel that obviously people go uh, to today. You can look it up on Google and 
find out that it's at Gibeon as well. Uh, so at Gibeon, this is where the rest of the tabernacles at, except for the Holy of Holies with the with the Ark of the Covenant uh, there. So let's see what they're doing with the tabernacle uh, in verse 39. In the high place that was at Gibeon, verse 40, to offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offering regular, regularly uh, morning and evening. So you remember the morning and evening sacrifices, special days they had extra sacrifices. And notice the end of verse 40, to do all that is written in the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. So every all the sacrifices happened in Gibeon, six miles away, uh, and morning and evening. And we're also going to see around these sacrifices, they're doing everything exactly how the law of the Lord. Now they know the law of the Lord. They brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem according to the law of the Lord. And now they're establishing this morning and evening sacrifices according to the law of the Lord that he commanded Israel. So they're obedient. Verse 41, with them in Gibeon were Heman and Jeduthun and the rest of the those chosen and expressly named. So we have a lot of names in First Chronicles. I think 15 has a list of names of those who are responsible for singing and those who are responsible for worship and those who are responsible for other things and carrying the ark. Um, so those names are expressly mentioned. And so we have um, a group of men possibly women we're, we're just told two men but they have the rest of which is a group okay the rest of those chosen and expressly named called out by name and here's what their job is to do verse 41 to give thanks to the lord for his steadfast love endures forever imagine a job description where your job is to sing god's praises morning and evening sacrifices every single day sabbath more sacrifices, special days, more sacrifices. And you are there to provoke all of God's people who are coming to worship. You're provoking them and teaching them songs. And some of the songs uh, that are in the Psalms that uh, we can read uh, were sung. And so this is what they're doing. These guys are expressly chosen for their skill um, as, as musicians. And it mentions them again by name in verse 42. Heman and Jeduthun had trumpets and cymbals for the music and instruments for sacred song. The sons of Jeduthun were appointed uh, to the gate. And so they are to expressly name to give thanks to the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. Compare that with verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. I don't think this is the only time they sang this song. I think as they had sacrifices, this song, as well as others, were sung by these men and taught. And it sounds like their sons are there, too. Um, and so if you went to Gibeon, it would be a place, obviously, of worship, daily worship of the Lord. If you had to offer a sacrifice, you would be uh, learning songs and singing songs and praising God as you offered your sacrifices. So David establishes these two places of worship, Jerusalem for the ark, Gibeon uh, for the tabernacle and daily sacrifices until Solomon builds the temple. When Solomon builds the temple, all the sacrifices, well, we can tell Solomon offers thousands of sacrifices the day he consecrates the temple. 
and of course has a place in the temple for the Ark of the Covenant. So properly staffed according to the law, according to verse 40, and with proper sacrifices, the daily morning and evening sacrifices. Also, the plan is to have leaders expressly tasked with giving thanks to the Lord. Why? Because his steadfast love endures forever. They're enjoying God's steadfast love and worship in a way that has not been enjoyed for generations. And it's starting, and David does what he can to obey God's law and to set this up so that it keeps going, and it's going to go beyond him. And Solomon's going to carry it on with the establishing of the temple. That's what Chronicles does here for us, is to help us to see how the structure of the spiritual temperature of Israel is, is rising. These people are getting close to God, and they're solely focused on worshiping the Lord as God intended for them to do. Fast forward to the New Testament. First Peter, we're going to close tonight with First Peter 2. We'll go there. First Peter 2, verse 9, quotes Exodus. It sounds a lot like Exodus 19. You probably know Exodus 20, where the Ten Commandments are. But in Exodus 19, God says in verses 4 to 6 that, I rescued you, I brought you out of Egypt, and I brought you to myself, that you would be a special people. And he uses this kind of language that's found not just uh, describing by Peter, the uh, Israelites, but describing the church. So the church in 1 Peter 2 is those who have uh, obeyed, um, obeyed the Lord, trusted him as their savior. And Peter says how we have looked at Christ as the cornerstone, uh, we're built on him. The Jews look at him as a stumbling block or rock of offense because they stumble, verse 8 of 1 Peter 2, because they disobey the word and they are as they are destined to do. <clears throat> Unfortunately, at the time of Christ, Israel does not look like 1 Chronicles 16. It looks like more like judges than it does faithfulness of the Lord is the focal point. So Jesus has to cleanse the temple a couple times and re help reestablish this worship. But verse 9 says, uh, Peter says about us, that we are, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And when Peter says this to the church, it reminds them who know Exodus 19. That's almost exactly what he said to Israel as he brought them out of Egypt and is ready to give them the Ten Commandments. So why does God call the church a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession? Verse 9 continues, we have a reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saves us and brings us to himself and calls us his own so that we would do the same thing that Israel was doing in First Chronicles 16. It is so parallel, so similar, <laughs> that when Israel's faithful to God, they're enjoying God and unity and praise, and all they're gathering, everybody just come and worship the Lord with us. And now, as a church, we are gathered as God's people. And while the world blasphemes God and ignores him, and distorts him and profanes what he says is holy we say oh, no 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 we are we are there's our identity right here we're a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation 
a people for God's own possession, so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people. You didn't have anything in common. You didn't have a common ancestry like the Israelites did, but now you are God's people. So what unifies God's people in verse 10? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm having a new members class at church and helping the first class is how did, what is a church? That we are this. This is what we are, verse 9. And verse 10, this is uh, who we are, and this is what joins us together. We have all received God's mercy. We're all in God's family. And then he says in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. The world looked at David and all those worshiping like Michael did, despising him in her heart, and says, you guys are crazy. Why all the commotion? Why all of the <laughs> celebration? It's just a box. Why all of this sacrifices? Why the morning and evening? Why all the burnt offerings? Why why all this? This does not make sense. And the world says to the faithful church today, you guys are crazy. Why are you going to church? Why are you giving your money there? Why are you giving your energy there? What What's the big deal? Well, we know verse 9. We're not stumbling over Jesus. He is our cornerstone. We're built on him. We're to proclaim how good he is. And we live as sojourners and exiles. And as sojourners and exiles, this world's not our home. So we abstain from, it says here in verse 11, the passions of the flesh, which wage war against our soul. We're not feeding the flesh we're not loving the flesh and giving into the pleasures of the flesh we're fighting against the passion of the flesh we're abstaining from it verse 12 and we're keeping our conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers you guys are crazy you're evil you're on the wrong side of history they may see our good deeds how we're loving and compassionate and loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us and reaching out to them that think we're um, we're evil and we say hey come into our home look at how evil people live <laughs> you're welcome here and when this happens they may see our good deeds and what are they doing they're going to glorify god on the day of visitation so while we are to like first chronicles 16 provoked the world to worship him as we live holy lives because of who we are and we're proclaiming who jesus is then the world even though they don't like us and think that we are evil um they can't argue with our good deeds our honesty our character our integrity our love our mercy our compassion our joy our hope our strength our uh, endurance, our even love for our enemies. And when this happens, the world will glorify God. And we are, if we're telling them, glorify God before you die. <laughs> you will glorify him after, but we want you to glorify him. And as Israel faithfully, they were the kingdom of priests that was supposed to bring all the nations. And the world was supposed to worship through Israel. And David does what he can in First Chronicles 16 to help establish that and it's a wonderful motivation 
uh, for us to live holy lives and to speak of God's excellencies um, even in a better way.